Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spiro Avenue Show. You could follow us on social media at Spiro Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch our full episodes and clips and highlights on YouTube. And we would appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button for us. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. Well, I cannot confirm or deny that I have watched that or listened to some variety of that clip 700 times since it first aired last night on ESPN. Welcome back to the Spiro Avenue Show. Every episode is special. Every episode is wonderful because you're here with me, and I always have the most brilliant guests, and everybody knows it. Tonight's extra special, and we all know why. It's Kate Cunningham celebration time. We'll get to that in just a minute. A lot to get to. I'm pumped. I'm pumped for our guest making his Grand Spiro Avenue debut. But we have to acknowledge who keeps the lights on around here. It's not me. I love my guests, but it's not them either. It's our sponsors. And we have a wonderful one tonight. Again, one of our newest ones yet. Wade Fink Law. WadeFinkLaw.com. That's not a pseudonym. That's the guy's actual name. Not the law part, but the Wade Fink part. Wade Fink, a brilliant defense attorney out of Birmingham, Michigan. A longtime friend of mine actually went to high school with Wade, can vouch for him to the highest extent. And if you recognize that name and the law and the Fink thing, it's not because you're crazy. It's because he is the son of Neil H. Fink, arguably the greatest defense attorney of all time in Metro Detroit. Look it up. And also the son of Kimberly Stout. It is a legendary legacy in Birmingham. They're all attorneys. I think the dog might be getting his law license pretty soon, in fact. So if you're thinking of breaking some laws, I can't recommend it. I would advise against it. But if you have to, if you have to break the law, Wade does have your back. They're calling him the Jewish Johnny Cochran. He'll get you off of anything. So it's like I'm Gerard Butler, okay? I'm a law-abiding citizen. So I would never do anything. But if I did, if I felt like knocking over 7-Eleven, I'm calling Wade Fink. He's the guy. Check him out. WadeFinkLaw.com, WadeFinkLaw.com, Wade at WadeFinkLaw.com. If you want to email the gentleman, he's brilliant. Highly recommend him. Thank you for all the support from Wade. He's the man. Stay out of trouble. If you get in trouble, call him up. So let's get to it. This is, I, I'm not going to lie. It's been a rough decade here. Everyone knows that has watched the show for more than 10 seconds. Knows that I'm a diehard fan of all the teams here. Diehard Michigan State guy. And it's been hard. And people say I'm a curmudgeon and that I, I, I'm a bad guy and I'm so negative. And I would just say, what am I supposed to be happy about? But I can't say that anymore because a new era of Detroit Pistons basketball is upon us. And welcome to it. The Detroit Pistons officially drafted Cade Cunningham first overall. And it is a packed show tonight. But I have to tell you, this is going to be an obnoxious level of enthusiasm on my end because I'm very excited. And I, it got me thinking this with this whole direction of where they're going. I'm a historian of the game. I wouldn't say I'm an expert, far from an expert, but I'm a historian in that I like to learn what I wasn't around for, and I like to be really cognizant of what I am around for and sort of internalize it and think of it in a certain way. I'm a historian of the game, not an expert historian. And looking at the Pistons historically, when they have one big, it's always looked a certain way. There's only really one way they've done it. They had a distinct feel to them. It just looked a certain way. It instilled a certain sense in the fan base. We remember them in hindsight in a certain way. And you could say that about any champion, I guess. I mean, we typically remember champions as being good. The 2011 Dallas Mavericks, we say they were good, obviously. Even the LeBron James Heatles, they were very good. Maybe their identity is the original super team. But 
that's typically the end of the legacy for 99% of champions in any sport. They were really good. And that's a hell of a legacy, but they don't stand out. The Pistons are unique in this way. And especially unique because they've done it in two different eras already. They've just looked different. They do it differently than anybody else. And you can start with the bad boys, knocking guys down. Nothing goes uncontested at the rim. Everything is a struggle, a battle. There was a snarl to them. In fact, there was an entire book written about the ferocious defensive tactics that the bad boys used to stop Michael Jordan called the Jordan Rules. Still one of the five most famous basketball books ever. That was their identity. And we all remember it. And if you weren't around for it, we all know about it. We all saw the 30 for 30. And you fast forward, they had some doldrum years. We get into the going to work era. You had play the right way. You had holding five straight opponents under 70 points. They were grinding. It was a team of cast-offs. Chauncey Billups had been on his fifth team by the time he got here. Rasheed Wallace was traded around, was a renegade. Ben Wallace, undrafted, eventually dumped by two different teams. That was their identity. And really, if that team in particular was the one notable exception to that, you have to have a superstar to win a title rule. And now we're up to, like, you need three. You need at least two superstars. A lot of people think you need, like, two and a half at least now in most years to win. That team had zero. A different identity. Going to work Pistons were different. And I don't know if it's something in the Detroit city water. I don't know if it's because the city of Detroit is somehow inherently unglamorous and, and built on grit and grind and toughness. That may be it. I, I don't know what it is, and I don't purport, uh, purport to know, but it's something. And that's been the case whenever they've been good. It's always looked a certain way when this thing got rolling. Toughness, chip on the shoulder, a get-the-hell-out-of-our-way attitude. And this week, gloriously, the Pistons draft Cade Cunningham first overall. And it got me thinking. We're getting back into the same basket that we were when things were going really well in two different eras. One scouting report called Cade Cunningham, quote, a bulldozer, unafraid of anything, a complete basketball junkie. He will never back down from anyone. A college teammate at Oklahoma State called Cade Cunningham, quote, extremely intense. If you don't match his intensity, he'll kill you in practice. Nothing rattles Cade Cunningham. Does that sound like a bad boy to you? Do you think if Cade Cunningham were on the 2004 Pistons that he would have stood right next to Chauncey and Rashid and Tayshawn and stared the Shaq, Kobe, Carmone, Gary Payton, juggernaut Lakers in the eye with them? Does that sound like a guy that would have taken up that battle? Does he fit the mold? I would say the Detroit Pistons did more than just draft a really good basketball player, which they did. They redrafted their old identity this week. They redrafted what has worked twice in two different eras to extreme degrees, winning at the highest level possible. It's an identity that has led them to the mountaintop in two different eras. And it's the only identity we've seen them have that worked. And it worked to the best degree possible. So, look, they won't be winning the title next year. The bad boys didn't win their first of two titles until year eight of the Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas era. Took them a long time, almost a decade. The going to work Pistons, 2004, they finally break through. That was year four of the Ben Wallace Pistons era. So I'm not saying... 
print your playoff tickets. It's going to happen right now. But it's on the way. I truly believe that. I think this was the building the foundation. And they started that. And it really, some seeds were planted last year. It was really kicked into high gear this week. Cade Cunningham is the jolt that this city needed, not just the basketball team, but the whole city across the whole plains, the whole atmosphere here. He is the key, but he won't be going at it alone. And he's not the only one embodying this identity. Look at Jeremy Grant, the players for the draft seven years ago, leaving Syracuse, his own coach, Jim Beheim, says, hey, two years isn't enough. Jeremy's not ready. It's going to be real tough for him adjusting to the league. Jeremy Grant said, I'm going to bet on myself. Carved out a really important role in Denver. Was very good on a very good playoff team. Contract comes up. Gets the same offer from Denver that he got from Detroit. Same exact money to the dollar. Wants to go to Detroit. Why? He's going to bet on himself that he can be the number one guy somewhere. He doesn't want to be a role player anymore. We made fun of him. uh, Writers across town made fun of Jeremy Grant. I'm going to bet on myself. Awesome year in year one with the Pistons. Didn't care. Snarl to him. Isaiah Stewart, we talked about scouting reports. Isaiah Stewart, favorite on this show, was described by one scout as intimidating, physical, tough, a relentless dog that just keeps coming. Yes, I do believe the Detroit Pistons are back. I believe they're back. And they're not, they're not at the peak of being back, but they're on that mountain and they're climbing. And boy, did I miss them because it's been a long time, but it's good to see him again. So with that said, what a time to have one of the hottest new writers in town, not new to this area, but newly back, the Detroit Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press, a certified Spartan dog himself, so he feels right at home with our Paul Bunyan trophy over his shoulder, fresh off a 6 a.m. flight from New York City covering the draft. It's Omari Sankofa. Welcome to the Spiro Avenue Show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Happy to be here. Uh, obviously, I mean, you kind of just <laughs> ran through the entire gamut right now, but they have Kay Cunningham, and it's a you know great time to be covering the uh, team. So yeah. you got me fresh off the flight. You know, everything's still, still in my brain, so this is uh, perfect timing. <laughs> it's, it's been a whirlwind for you. What a crazy time. I mean, I, I was impressed that you kept the date, to, to, that you made it, and that you kept it to be here. It's, it's tough, you know, 6 a.m. flight to New York. So you heard the opening, Pistons take Kate Cunningham. And it's obviously on its face a big story. Everyone knows why. They drafted a hell of a player. That seems to be the consensus. What do you make of sort of my take on it? It feels like there is a conscious leaning into the history. It's not just we're a team, we're trying to build, we're trying to add this good player, this asset. It is a conscious decision to lean into that successful bad boy going to work era. Do you sense that? I think it is a conscious decision. And it's uh, happened, I think on some level it's happened sort of organically since uh, I think really when you look back to the bad boys 30 for 30, it sort of put the bad boys back into the public consciousness outside of just uh, Detroit. Uh, this season, last season, you see a lot of, these are young guys coming in, obviously 19, 20 years old. Uh, they're all talking about just how cool that era was. Uh, you know, they weren't around to watch it. Um, you know, I, I wasn't around to watch it, but they, but it's cool, right? You know, you have this team, you know, they're, they're, they're cool. They're tough. You know, they snarl. They were the team that Jordan had to get through. And I think that branding is really appealing, uh, you know, to a lot of these young players just because it kind of goes against what's said about the NBA today. You know, they, you know, people are saying that they take so many threes and, you know, they're, they're not the low post play anymore. Uh, so I think uh, some of that just kind of roots back from that. But also when Troy Weaver took over last summer, 
uh, he said a lot of the same things. Uh, Trey Weaver, I mean, he's been around for a while. Uh, you know, he's been a coach. He's been a scout. He's been a GM. I mean, he's uh, a, a basketball lifer. And he is naturally that way. Everybody you talk to about Trey just says, this guy doesn't flinch. He's tough. He knows exactly what he wants to do. Uh, there's no hesitation. And he uh, evoked the bad boys when he first came in. And he talked about wanting to get back into that style of play. When he drafted Isaiah Stewart, he talked about, uh, getting a Dennis Rodman, uh, Ben Wallace type, you know, somebody who's an enforcer, somebody who's going to rebound and play defense and, and, and rally the troops together. Uh, so I think a lot of that comes from the top down, uh, certainly from Troy. Uh, some of it's organic. And then, of course, we have Cade come in, and he's wearing number two, the uh, Chuck Daly number. Uh, I mean, you, you really can't get more on, on the nose than that. So uh, it's just a lot of things kind of coming together at once, but it does feel like something that's both intentional and organic at the same time yeah and it's like again i don't know what it is i don't i don't know if it's just because it's not a glitzy and glamorous city with beaches like michigan we love it like we're michiganders we love it but like to other people it just does not have the same appeal as south beach or manhattan beach out in la but for whatever reason it has to look like this for it to work it's just how it's been and it seems like it is a, I love that he's using the term Troy Weaver restore because it is a restoration to sort of the founding principles of those two championship teams or three, but two different eras that delivered titles. Like obviously Cade Cunningham's a great player. Um, his talents undeniable. We can all see that anybody that watched college basketball at all last year or has done their homework knows he's a great player, but it goes beyond that. Doesn't Cade Cunningham, specifically just his attitude, his leadership style, feel very Detroit Pistons? I think it does. I think he is a guy that, I mean, you talk to people about Cade as well, and they all say that he's just mature beyond his years. Uh, I mean, everybody who's seen his interviews from the past couple of days and even uh, last Friday when he did his pre-draft, uh, he is very, uh, you know, just, he, he's, he's very straightforward, uh, you know, but I think that maturity and, and that leadership comes through in the way that he talks. And you look at, uh, you know, just the past leaders of the Pistons, and they were all guys, I think, that were just, you know, of a similar mode. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Rasheed Wallace was a guy who, you know, was known. And, you know, and, and I don't think Cade Cunningham is Rasheed Wallace. I don't think he's going to get 20 texts a year. But uh, as no. far as just being somebody who is very much, uh, you know, we're good, this is who we are, and we're just going to outwill the other, other team. Uh, Cade Cunningham, you know, you just talk, like I talked to his former coaches for a story a couple of days ago. Uh, he's, he's a guy that rallies the, the troops. He, he, uh, brings the guys in, uh, I think his high school coach, his first high school coach actually, uh, said that, I'm sorry, it was his, uh, it was Mike Boynton, his, uh, coach at Oklahoma state said that, you know, Cade Cunningham is great and he wants his teammates to believe that they are just as great as he is, uh, which, you know, he comes into Oklahoma state and he's 18 years old. Like that's an insane thing to say about a guy who's 18 years old. But I do think that he kind of carries that same, uh, mantra that, uh, past business players had. And the thing that's interesting with him that I found, and we mentioned like one of the, his teammates quotes from Oklahoma state, but there were many and, and his coach Boynton, every teammate that's ever gone on record about him, including back in high school, there's very, very, very few players that can have that reputation as intense driving will push the envelope in practice. And at the same time, not have his teammates despise him. Because, look, I, I like Kobe Bryant. I was always a Kobe Bryant fan. I, he's one of my probably 10 favorite players ever in basketball. I, I, he was intense. He was a champion. 
His teammates did hate him, though. Like, so even Kobe couldn't get that part of it right. Michael Jordan, the best player ever, in my estimation, couldn't get that part right. It's so rare to have a guy that can have that intensity, dries the tone of practice, does not put up with any crap. If anybody's slacking, apparently they get an earful from him as the freshman on the team. But yet everybody loves him. Like, it's almost, he's a savant at navigating leadership. And it's such a contrast to what we've seen. I mean, again, we can go way back, but I mean, Ben Gordon looked like he didn't want to be here. Charlie Villanueva didn't look like he wanted to be here. Austin Day, I just think, wasn't tough at all. I mean, you could write down those Rodney Stuckey. We haven't had sort of that attitude in a long time. I think it goes beyond how good he is and that he's even a, a cultural fit, which he is. But I think they have a unicorn, if not in talent, in personality, combined in leadership. Like, don't you see him as a unique, like, one in maybe five guys in terms of balancing that intensity, but also everybody loves the guy. I think so. And it's a very thin line, right? Like you need to be able to get on guys without making them doubt that you're still rooting for them and want them to succeed. Right. You know, I think that's a very uh, tough balance to get down, but it makes it a lot easier when you're a guy that also, you know, the ball's in your hands and you're the one that's guiding them to victory. I think that gives you a certain amount of clout that you don't have if you're, you know, not, not that type of guy. Uh, Cade, he's been, he was the number one player in, the, in his class and it was a talented class. I mean, you had Jalen Green and, and Evan Mobley. Obviously, those guys would have went number one in last year's draft. I think ESPN actually had Jalen Green on top of uh, Cade at the end of last year. But anyway, you know, the point still stands. And uh, just overall, uh, yeah, I, I, I think Cade, like when you are, are as good as he is, it is easier to get away with certain things. I mean, we even saw the the Michael Jordan doc. I mean, he punched Steve Kerr, but they you know they still came to work the next right. day and they had to hash it out, right? Because what are you going to do? It's Michael Jordan. Uh, when you're that good, I think that uh, does buy you a little bit more leash. But uh, just from what I've, I've heard about Cade, he's not you know like a, a mean person. Uh, he is just very much you know we need to win, and he's going to do what he can do uh, to get you to play on his level. Uh, you know, so I think that makes it a lot easier, obviously, when you're, uh, you know, as good as he is and you come in with those credentials. And yeah, and the fan base is already, uh, I mean, the approval ratings 100%. (laughs) I've never seen, like, even before the draft and he puts on the buffs and, you know, it it makes the appeal and throws out the first pitch at tonight's Tigers baseball game. He was already, like, in a 100% unanimous approval. And we haven't really seen that here in a long time. Usually Piston fans, me included, were furious that, Mitchell wasn't the pick, and we pick Luke Kennard. Devin Booker, it's a little revisionist history. There were some people that wanted him, but it's like we're never happy with the draft pick. It's like we've been in such a doldrum as a city across the board with the sports teams. It was like this one beautiful, unifying moment. Like I want to talk a little bit about the fit. So obviously, cultural fit, great. Talent, great. City needed it, great. Uh, Some people, the only pushback I've seen sort of nationally, not locally, but nationally, is this fit with Killian Hayes. Now, I would argue, don't worry about that. Take Cade Cunningham and figure it out later. If you can't figure it out, no problem. Like, Cade's the priority. But it seems like it would be better if it did work. I'm not giving up on Killian Hayes, the youngest guy in the draft last year. Some people say they're not compatible, though. They're sort of conflicting that Green would have been a better system fit with this team and the group that's already assembled. Like, how do you see that working out? Are they going to be able to play together, or is this team going to move on from Killian Hayes in a year? Well, I think just as far as backcourt fits, there are certainly worse fits than uh, Killian Hayes and Kate Cunningham. Uh, you know, Kate is 6'8", Killian is 6'5". Uh, they're both guys who project as uh, above-average defenders. Uh, obviously, they both have a great vision. I mean, we saw Killian throw some, you know, insane passes last year. 
And, you know, Kay is also a really great shooter. He's one of the great, the best shooters to come out of the the draft. And he can hit him in a variety of ways. Step back, spot up. Uh, there really isn't a three he can't hit. So I think that makes it a lot easier uh, when you have a guy like Cade who could very easily play off of Killian. Uh, if you need Cade to occupy that, you know, more, you know, like wing primary scorer role, but he's not the one bringing the ball up the floor every single time, he can do that. Uh, I think Cade coming in does put pressure on Killian to improve his game in areas that he didn't necessarily show last year. Uh, he wasn't a great shooter, of course. Uh, he's going to have to get used to being effective without the ball in his hands. And they did play him off of point guards a lot. Uh, he played a lot next to Corey Joseph towards the end of the season. Uh, he had one game when they played next to Saban Lee early on. He played next to Blake Griffin and, and Derrick Rose a lot. So even last season, you know, before it was even, you know, known that the Pistons were going to, you know, uh, get Cade Cunningham, they were already prepping Killian to fulfill that sort of role, which I think was less about, you know, who could come in and more about, you know, this guy's 6'5". You know, like we need him to be able to, to play some, you know, a bit of that off guard role too, just because he's so big. Uh, so I, I think there's going to be a filling out process because I think Cade is best with the ball in his hands. And I think Killian is best with the ball in his hands. And there's going to be a filling out process when they figure out, okay, uh, you know, five seconds left. Uh, Killian's been here for a year, but Cade's the number one pick, right? You know, like who's going to con- con- concede that to the other player? And I don't think it'll be you know, like a rivalry or anything like, like that. You know, I think they're both going to work together and they're going to figure it out. Uh, you know, so as far as fit, like, yeah, you know, there's some question marks there, but I think overall, uh, you know, I'd, I'd rather have uh, Killian Hayes and Kate Cunningham as a starting point than you know, like a guy who's 6'1 to 6'2 or something like that, right? Like, there's a lot of upside here and the, everything else. Uh, these guys are young, you know, they'll, they'll continue to grow. Kate already addressed the elephant in the room, uh, you know, like yesterday, you know, like, you know, we're, like Killian's going to help me, I'm going to help him. Uh, they're, they're both aware of it. I think ultimately it's going to be fine. Do you think Killian, I mean, I don't, maybe you know for a fact, like, is Killian bummed about this pick? Was he hoping for Mobley? Like, do you have any sense of kind of what he's thinking? I don't think he feels that way. I mean, you know, I, I can't say for a fact, you know, like what he's, he's, he's thinking, but at the end of the day, the Pistons won 20 games last year, and I think more than anything, they want to win. That know, was so. the Troy Weaver thing. He goes, hey, like, who's a yeah. fed? He goes, everybody's a fed. I mean, there's, like, there's no position that, oh, we're so good here, you know, we can't potentially look at any changes to disrupt that apple cart. But. Exactly. So, yeah, Killian, I mean, he comes in, and he was also hurt last season, right? You know, he only played 26 yeah, games. Yeah, he had a really bad injury, a hip injury. Missed most of the year. Yeah, so. you know, so you, yeah, I, so I, I think, you know, on, on some level, you know, if you're Killian, you're probably like, this guy's going to make my life a lot easier, right? You know, yeah. it, it takes a lot of pressure off of me to be that guy. And I think that that works out because, you know, Killian, you know, it was more of the upside pick, right? You had him and, 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 and Halliburton. And Halliburton was a guy who's going to be good right now, and Killian's a guy that has the tools to be a much better player down the road. You know, now you have a guy, guy like Cade who comes in, and it, I think it frees Killian up to do a lot of things. Uh, also, you know, Killian was on record after a game last season. He said he likes playing off ball because it does free him up to do, you know, things that you can't do when you have to have the ball in your hands. You have to create looks for yourself because I don't know if, uh, you know, if, if that's like Killian's best role, uh, you know, 100% of the game. You know, I think he's a guy who is going to exert a lot of energy on defense. He's a guy that, uh, you know, he is going to be a, a, a spot up shooter. Uh, he isn't that right now, but that is something that he wants to add to his game. So. Uh, you know, you always want to be the guy, but at the same time, uh, you know, if you, if you want to be great in the NBA, you got to have multiple guys who are doing that. And, you know, I think o- overall, uh, you should be able to see the big picture there. I agree. I mean, it's kind of the whole positionless era of basketball, right? And you got to be able to do multiple things. Like, I mean, Larry King, who recently passed away, famous broadcaster, had the Larry King live show for years and years, like 40 years he was doing live TV. And 
he had this rule where he said, if you turned on his show at any given time, you're just flipping in the middle, you turn it on. 95% of the time, his goal was to have his guest speaking and not him. He wants the guest to drive the conversation. I'm probably higher than 5%, but, but that was his goal. I'm flipping through. I'm watching the Tigers game or whatever. I'm busy. I'm mowing my lawn, throwing the Pistons game. Who's what percent breakdown? Who's going to have the ball between those two guys? Like, do you see Cade Cunningham being the primary driver of this offense? Because I think Killing's going to be playing mostly off ball. That's kind of what I see. Uh, I I think Dwayne was tagging him a little bit. You know, I think probably leading off, you probably have the ball in Cade's hands. Uh, you know, and then you sub Cade off, and maybe you know Killian closes the first quarter, leaves off the second. Uh, you know, I think you can run sets where, uh, well, for one, you know, Dwayne likes to have multiple guys bring the ball up the floor anyway. Like we even saw Mason Plumlee bring the ball up the floor, the floor sometimes last season. Uh, so there's a lot of flexibility there. But overall, I think when you look at the split, you're probably going to have the ball in Kay's hands more often just because he's just far more of a weapon right now than Killian is. I think Killian can get there. But, I mean, Cade, I mean, he could hit a pull-up three. He's just pressuring the defense in ways that Killian can't right now. Um, and overall, you know, I think the way Killian plays in some ways, too, he's, he was almost unselfish to a fault sometimes last season. You know, he, he would get to the rim and he would look to kick out. Uh, I think he's naturally an un- unselfish guy. So some of the stuff I think will resolve itself organically. Like you have a guy in, you know, Cade who is very much, you know, like I'm going to drive this team to victory. And Killian can fill in a, a lot of those gaps. So we'll see how it plays out. But overall, I think naturally, you know, Kay's number one pick, you know, he's, he's the guy that's coming in as sort of like that alpha dog role and you want him to, to do that. He's probably the one that's, you know, opening the game and closing the game to Bond, in a sense. And I think it should be. I mean, the analytics crowd had a couple. I mean, most of them still had Cunningham number one. But the analytics crowd was not thrilled with the assist-to-turnover ratio. Assists were low. Turnovers were high. With Cade Cunningham in Oklahoma State is one year there. I would say anybody that watched that team, I probably watched five or six like full Oklahoma State games and parts of others, obviously, when they were in the tournament and that. This guy would drive, draw three defenders, kick the ball to a wide open guy, and they'd miss the shot like Mm -hmm. 10 times a game. I mean, it was, I just, I feel like anybody in the NBA, for the most part, is going to make the majority of a shot wide open. And I just think that like, the eyeball test sort of mitigates any concern there. I don't know where you stand on this, but like the, the one sort of knock on the turnovers and the assists, it's like if you actually watch the games, I don't see it as a problem, but I, I could be wrong. Where do you stand on that? No, I agree. I think you watch him play and his team didn't do him a lot of favors. I mean, yeah, the, their, yeah their, their spacing was terrible. Like he's driving and he's, you know, going through three defenders. Uh, you know, I saw, uh, you know, some pushback on K. I mean, there really hasn't been much nationally, but a few people bring up his two point percentage wasn't great. You know, of course, he I think he averaged 3.5 assists and four turnovers. Like K was an incredible like his assist to turnover ratio was great until he got to college. You could say that and say, oh, well, that's because he got exposed. No, it's not because he got exposed. It's because it's really hard to be a, a great playmaker when, you know, your team can't shoot and you are constantly passing over the trees trying to find guys and they can't shoot. I mean, his team didn't do him a lot of favors. And even so, uh, you know, he still got them to the tournament. Uh, but, you know, but yeah, like it's, it's like you said, you watch him play. Clearly, this guy's a great playmaker. Like he's really good at, you know, working the pick and roll. He's got great vision. He can whip, you know, left-handed, right-handed passes. Like there's not, there's not so many passes he can't make, right? And there was a lot of possessions that he bailed out just because he created something out of nothing. And you put him in the NBA with NBA spacing and, you know, the NBA three-point line, and it's going to open the floor for him. And I think it's going to look a lot better 
uh, you know, of course, the Pistons are going to put some shooters around him, him too, because they won a great shooting team last year. But even last year's team had better spacing than Oklahoma State. They're huh? already working on it. I mean, yeah. Isaiah Livers is like forty four percent almost from three last year. I mean, we'll get to him later. But I just, it is the ultimate. Like, look, I like analytics. I'm a big believer in them as a tool, but I'm not beholden to them. And that was the only negative stuff I saw was this, you know, assisted turnover ratio. But the analytics, the notebook, the computer, sort of betrays the eyeball test. Like I said, anybody that watched that. You can easily see why that's in there. I have no concerns. In fact, I think he could actually be an elite uh, passer and distributor and organizer of the offense. But I the mean, only reason why he won't average ten assists is because he's playing with Killian Hayes, and they're both going to be passing the ball, which is so, fine. Yeah, I don't see. Yeah. I don't. I, I care so little. Like if, if Cade Cunningham is a really good defender, which he has every ability to be. The, their system, by the way, I don't want to get too technical because our audience is going to fall asleep. But I, you know, basketball, their defensive system is terrible at Oklahoma State. I mean, basically, it's it's the constant switching and guys looking around, getting lost. Anybody that watched them, it was total chaos on defense. So anyone making any assessment of Cade Cunningham defensively, it's even worse than the other side with guys clanging wide open shots and, and not getting open to begin with. But, like, I think he can be elite defensively. If Cade Cunningham is like, and this is, like, to me, his basement, like 18, 6, and 6, and, you know, really efficient percentages, and a dog defender, like you can win big with that guy with sort of the Pistons model, what we've seen before. I think he'll be better than that, but I don't, you know, I don't care if he's Doncic in terms of stats. I, I think he can impact the game in so many ways. And again, the cultural fit, even Doncic, who is one of the, I mean, fair five best players right now. I mean, certainly mm-hmm. top 10, but I'd say top five. It seems like a little bit of a goofball. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't follow the Dallas Mavericks that closely, but like, He's a little silly, talking trash, like in not a good way, and just seems like kind of a silly guy. Like I, you know, would I trade them straight up? We already know Doncic is Doncic, I guess, but I don't know. I think Cunningham has a chance to be better, if not in the box score, but just in terms of impact. I think Cade Cunningham is, if you could in a lab build a character guy and a leader, you couldn't formulate a better one. I, I just think he's the ultimate guy to drive this team out of the abyss. For sure. I mean, his coaches, I mean, they all pretty much said the same things. Like, this guy's, like, he's going to take the heat off of you, right? Like, he's a guy that the people in the locker room respect. Um, his uh, coach at Montverde, Kevin Boyle, was saying that, I mean, you know, he was 16, 17 years old there. And he was, you know, talking to the coaching staff, like, you know, like, as, as equals, right? Like, you know, like, giving them feedback, like, or asking, like, you know, can we do this or that? Sometimes they would say yes, sometimes they would say no. But it was very much a, you know, we're in this together and we're all trying to accomplish the, the same goal, uh, which, uh, you know, I think that leadership aspect really appealed to the Pistons. You know, just knowing that you have a guy that's going to step in and immediately embrace that role. And I mean, I mean we've seen it a lot, just the way he's talked about the city of Detroit, like he wore the buffs, like he's somebody who very clearly wants you to know that he's in this with you. Uh, you know, I think we've already seen that. And just, you know, everybody you talk to about him, that just seems to be the type of person he is. He's all the way in, as he said. So we've talked a lot of Cade Cunningham, and rightfully so. I was saying last year, I, I've been like banging uh, the drum, playing the banjo for Troy Weaver for like a full year now. I was, it was, you know, James Edwards III. James Edwards III and I were like the only two people on the planet that loved the Isaiah Stewart thing like right away. Everyone was making fun of them. They have 17 centers, and why are you drafting this 6'9 center in the middle of the first round? Like I have loved everything he's done. What I did say was, It'll be interesting to see what the big move is because he's got Bay, I think, he'll eventually get there. 
Isaiah Stewart. You could even throw Saban Lee in there. Jeremy Grant is a really good like elite third banana, very, very good second banana. I still don't think he's going to ever be the best player on a championship team. I hope he hears me say that because then he'll get mad at me and prove me wrong. <laughs> but like, I just, what was the big move? And I didn't know what it was. Like, they're never going to attract that free agent. And I basically said, you have to get lucky in the lottery. Mm-hmm. And even if you pick fifth, you just happen to get the best guy. Sometimes that happens. It was answered. They got the guy that should be that guy. What's the next move? Like, kind of where do you see them going? They have Cade. They have these other pieces, two guys that were on the all-rookie team. It doesn't seem like they're going to spend much this year, which I'm fine with. It looks like they're looking more for 2022 in terms of the big additions. Mm-hmm. Like, what's sort of next for Troy Weaver? Because they have a lot of wiggle room with cap space projected into the future. They do. I think their position, similarly to Atlanta, was last year when they have a couple of years and you have Trey Young and you have uh, you know some young guys along with him. And, uh, you know, like John Collins, obviously, and you're just in a position where you can make moves to just add those like, auxiliary pieces around them. You know, they went out and they got Gallinari, you know, they traded for, I think they traded for Clint Capella. And, you know, and you just hope that, uh, you know, your, uh, your lead guy is ready to take that next step. And if you just surround him with talent, that it'll figure itself out. You know, I don't know if the Pistons are going to get, you know, like you look at next year's free agency plans. I don't know if they're going to get uh, like Durant a free agent. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, like they're not, you know, like you're, you're not yeah. going to get Steph Curry. No, but no. if you could just go out and just, you know, really just get some high level talent around those guys, uh, you know, I think you're in position to kind of make that move because again, you have Jeremy Grant, you know, who's like, like you said, could be a great third banana or even a number two because they still think he could get better. Uh, you have Isaiah Stewart who already looks like a starting center. Uh, you have Sadiq Bay. Uh, it's tough to say what his ceiling is, but. I mean, he shot 38% for three last year. I mean, he's already really, really good. And you have Killian Hayes, who, I mean, it's tough to say what his ceiling is. Like, he's already really good at some things that, I mean, his, I think his intangibles are really, really high. Like, he's really smart. Uh, you know, like, maybe he can eventually become, like, that second or third guy. Uh, so, and you already have Cade, of course. So, a lot of those pieces are already in place, and now you have cap space. So, I think it's probably less who's the best possible player we can get and more, like, what's just the best possible, you know, team of role players we could put around our talented core that can kind of just get them to that next level. Uh, so this, they kind of remind me of where Atlanta was not too long ago. And of course they made the Eastern conference finals. So, you know, I'm not predicting anything, but I'm just saying, uh, you know, just the way that they're positioned, I think they can do something similar if they want to. Yeah. I'm with you on the, the killing thing. Like backing up a couple minutes ago, you're talking about Halliburton and you said correctly that, Everyone knew Halliburton was more ready to help right now, and Killian had you know, sort of a higher ceiling. And then what happened? Halliburton is a lot better right away. And the majority of the Piston fan base is like, oh, we should have taken Halliburton. It's like, no, like we knew right. going in, uh, it was very clear. Even the biggest Killian Hayes supporters, of which I was one, knew, like, look, I agree. I, I admit Halliburton almost definitely will be better right away. But you can't judge that till three years out. That was the take before the catastrophic hip injury. So yeah. now it's like even more so kind of wait and see. But I, I agree. I think he can kind of be in that. When Jim Costa was on the show, a good friend of mine, 97 won the ticket. I know you've been following Jim for a while. He made the point, you know, somewhat obvious but true and important that the hardest thing to get is just that number one guy. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know where they were going to get him. And it was Falling in the lap, which is why I'm very pro tanking, by the way. So <laughs> some of your colleagues are not. I've been saying it for a long time. Now they got them, and you said it. Now the mystery is solved. You don't have to somehow hope, which wouldn't happen anyway, that Kevin Durant's going to come here, Steph Curry's going to come here. 
you can find like another Jeremy Grant, like another guy who's the fourth guy on his team and wants to be the second or third somewhere else. Or, you know, like I, not this specific player, but at the time when Gordon Hayward was a free agent, nobody confused Gordon Hayward for being Kobe Bryant or Kevin Durant, but like still a very good kind of second guy. That can be enough now, especially in the East, which is historically worse than the West my entire lifetime, basically. So I, I think they have, because of that pick and why it's so important, they have an easier, more accessible path to winning a title, which brings me to this. Dwayne Casey. I like Dwayne Casey. I think he is like perfect for the time right now. I'm curious where you land on this, because in Toronto, he was seen as like the guy that developed DeRozan, developed Lowry, developed the whole team. He raised these kids, got them better, coached them up. They all credited him, he, he, but he was not the guy to finish the job. He got axed at the finish line. Nick Nurse comes in and finishes. It has some shades of Mark Jackson in Golden State, you know, sort of brought the team along, making it to the second round. Okay, Kerr comes in. Even looking locally, it was, there were some other circumstances, but Rick Carlisle, when he was in Detroit, they were in the doldrums. He wins 50 games back-to-back seasons after they had been winning 30. Got him off the mat, was coaching guys, got Ben Wallace playing the best ball of his life, and Larry Brown was the one that came in and finished it. I don't know what's going to actually happen, but I want you to project or share what you think Troy Weaver thinks. You think Troy Weaver's thinking, look, we know he wants to build a champion. He's talked about that. Does he see Dwayne Casey as, I got my guy. This guy can take me all the way. Or do you think he sees Dwayne Casey as the perfect guy to get these young guys to play hard and get strong, and then he's going to flip on them? Because there's sort of mixed opinions on Dwayne Casey winning at a high level. I think they're committed to Dwayne Casey. Uh, I think back in May is when they extended him an extra year, you know, which takes him through, you know, 2024. Uh, Dwayne's in his element right now. You know, of course, you mentioned he's a guy that, you know, is known for player development. And, you know, he comes in, you know, you see Isaiah Stewart and Sadiq Bay. Uh, you know, surpassed both expectations and their first team and second team are Ricky, uh, you know, Olympic select team. Uh, Killian Hayes really started to show something towards the end of the season after he came back from the hip injury. Uh, you know, Jeremy Grant, you know, he came in and had a really good season. Uh, just even guys like Saban Lee and Frank Jackson, you know, like uh, Diallo, you know, players who come in and, you know, fans probably don't know what to expect because they're not, uh, you know, players who were top 10 picks. But they come in and they become really, really good, uh, you know, su- supporting role guys. You know, I think last season was a really good coaching job by Dwayne just to get these young guys ready to play. And, uh, you know, I think the other thing, too, is that, you know, Dwayne is in his, his mid-60s. You know, you wonder, will he want to coach forever? Uh, I think he'll be the head coach as long as he wants to be, uh, you know, barring anything extreme, obviously. Right. Uh, you know, but, you know, I do think he has the full support from the ownership. I do think he has full support from uh, Trey Weaver. And, uh, you know, I think his first season, you know, just with this current, you know, group of guys was really good. You know, so so right now, uh, I think everything is kind of going going in his favor. And, um, you know, of course, I guess just from here, we'll see, you know, how long it'll take for the Pistons to get to the point to where they are truly contending in the Eastern Conference. I could make the argument, and I will, that for this team, I'm not saying blank slate in the whole league, but for this team as currently assembled, I don't know if I would trade Dwayne Casey for Anybody in the league, if you look at as, as the coach, if you look at what he did in Toronto, we talked about it, bringing all those guys up, got them off the mat and into contention. What Again, you mentioned it, what he did last year. I mean, obviously, Troy Weaver is supplying the ammunition, but how much better guys got from the beginning of the year to the middle to the end. I, I think he's, 
arguably the best guy for this situation. I think it's like a perfect fit. I mean, don't you kind of see him as like the ultimate uh, developer of, of these guys? I couldn't imagine a better fit. Yeah, I think I think people tend to underrate just having really good, positive chemistry between, you know, your coaching staff and your front office. Uh, like Troy Weaver and, and Dwayne, like they're in this together. Uh, you know, you, you hear Kate uh, today, you know, talk about how he met with Dwayne and that he met with Trey beforehand. And they were talking about, you know, restoring and everything. The messaging was the same. Uh, everybody was on the same page. And I think it, uh, you know, when, you, when, when you're a player, and you come into a situation when everybody's on the same page, or everybody's giving you the same message. Uh, there's just synergy from top to bottom. It makes you feel a lot more comfortable about, you know, where you are and it makes you feel more comfortable, you know, just about how you can grow within that. You know, I, I don't like when you have that, I don't think you immediately look to shake it up, uh, you know, because like once chemistry starts to go downhill and you have some of those issues. Uh, I mean, you know, you mentioned Rick Carlisle earlier. They, they, they Brown left, you know, because he has some issues with the front office, uh, too. Yeah. Around the but it's just, you know, you want to avoid that if you can. Uh, you know, so I think last season was good. And and yeah, I mean that that should definitely count for, for something one hundred percent. Yeah, I, I just I, I think they have like the perfect guy for this time. And the question will be, and we don't know, is when things get rolling as I anticipate they will, is he the guy to win it? But I, I also think that this is you could say this about any sport, but especially in basketball, players league, man. I don't think ninety percent of these coaches that are winning uh, titles are brilliant tacticians mm-hmm. relative to their you know, contemporaries and their uh, colleagues. I think players league. And if you have the best players, if you have the best player on the floor, you win what nine out of 10, eight out of 10. I mean, there's a couple exceptions, but I think it's player driven and I think they're going to have the team. But for right now, there's no question. He's the guy. So speaking of young guys, a guy that I'm really excited to see specifically with Dwayne Casey in this lineup, what the lineup needs, what I think he can do if he stays healthy, Isaiah liver. Now we're both Spartans. I will say, as an opponent on the other side watching a lot of Michigan basketball, Isaiah Livers was my favorite guy on the Michigan team the last couple of years. Now, Wagner was better, was a better prospect, not disputing that, but Livers seems like perfect cultural fit. Everybody loves him. Leader, plays his ass off. Biggest thing, shoots the lights out. I just think he's, a, as a second-round guy, he has to stay healthy. I don't think this is one of those uh, 5% lotto ticket second rounders. I actually think this guy is going to help a lot. Uh, where do you stand on Livers? I think he has a chance. I think Livers, he's a player where if he didn't get hurt and he played the tournament and he had a really good run uh, and he plays a position that's very important. I mean, he really shoots the ball well. Uh, maybe he would his draft stock would have risen and he would have gone a lot higher than, than, than 40, 42. That's kind of how I see it. You know, if he doesn't get hurt, you know, he's got that four-year pedigree. Uh, I mean, you know, zero character issues. You know, like everybody has great things to say about him. And he was like a career, like, you know, 40-something percent shooter at Michigan. Uh, I mean, those are the guys that you you take, right? Uh, you know, those are the guys where, you know, I think the floor is just a lot higher because if you just play average defense and knock down threes, then you're playing in the NBA for 12 years, right? You know, because those guys always play in the NBA for 12 years. Uh, you know, of course, we have to see, uh, you know, I'm not exactly sure where he is as far as his you know, recovery from that injury. But, uh, yeah, I mean, when the Pistons, you know, it was 42 and he was on, on, on the board and the Pistons have a clear need for shooting. It's like, I mean, and John Beeline is understaffed now. I mean, yeah. you know, that's just an absolute to me. I thought that was a no brainer pick, you know, and they did it. I know he's happy to be home. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how he, how he pans out. You know, I think that will be a great test for the Pistons player development program. Uh, you have the Motor City crews coming in next season. and. Uh, we still have to see where, just where they are roster-wise because right now they have more guys and they have spots. So, you know, stuff to say exactly 
where Isaiah would be in, in the pecking order next season right now. But uh, he's definitely a guy that can stick around, and I think that that was a smart pick. Yeah, I love that one. I, I think uh, I, what I read was September. He's supposed to be, like, 100% good to go, yeah. but you never know. I mean, we heard that about Grant Hill, like, 26 times. Like, those ankle injuries are particularly kind of uh, iffy, you know, that you, no one knows. But I, I don't know. I like it. The Luka Garza thing, <laughs> I just think it's fun. Like, these Piston fans are so mad about Garza like so, you know some of my friends you know Isaac said this is so perplexing it's like it's the 50 second pick. pick like look at I mean if we just did a blind look of like okay like if we had Ben pull up on the fly here everybody that went let's say like for a bigger sample size 50 to 56 the last 10 years I mean, we might find like two guys three yeah. guys like out of 60 that are like real guys like that were not the 11th guy or just didn't play at all I don't know. I think it's fun. I, the Garza thing. I, you don't see any problem with taking a chance on the eyebrows from Iowa, right? For sure. I saw. Yeah, I saw some people uh, kind of upset with what the Pistons did in the second round, yeah. and it was like the last eighteen picks of the draft. Like the vast majority of players <laughs> yeah. you pick in the last, like, like if I put up my phone and just went through the last like ten years, like you maybe find ten guys yeah. <laughs> picked in that range who had a career, you know, worth mentioning. Uh, so, you know, I, so in the grand scheme, like it's really, I mean, it's really nothing to spend any energy on at all. But if you are going to take a risk with a guy after 52nd pick, uh, you know, like the best player in college basketball last season is probably a guy that you take that yeah. risk on. Right. And he does have clear NBA skill. It's not like, you know, this is a guy that they found off of the street. Like, you know, this is a guy that is a, a elite post scorer. Like he's just like a, a, a dancer in a low post. He was an elite shooter. Uh, like this guy could really play. The only question marks really for him are on the defensive end. And if he's a guy that only plays five to 10 minutes a night and just gives you spacing at the five, then that's valuable because all teams need guys who can shoot, you know, from, from the five, because that is a very deadly weapon to have on offense. And you could probably play him next to Isaiah Stewart, knowing that Isaiah can protect the paint a little bit. Like, I don't see it as, like, you know, do I think he'll last in the NBA? Like, I'm, you know, like, it's the 52nd pick, right? I mean, you know, of course, the odds are against him. But at the same time, it was, it was hard for me to uh, kind of understand the, the fretting over, you know, a guy who was the 52nd pick and had, like, this incredible career at Iowa. If you're going to take a guy with that pick, I think you take a guy like that, personally. Oh, I agree. I mean, I wouldn't play him against Memphis because we know what happens when he sees Xavier Tillman. But absent of that, <laughs> as long as Tillman's not in the same zip code any given night, I think he can be effective, and it's like if you get with the 50-second pick, a guy that plays three years for you and gives you seven minutes a night and doesn't, like, fall down, I, it's like it's a win because you're already, like, in the upper 95 percentile of guys in that range. So, yeah, everyone needs to calm down. Just look at Cade Cunningham's sunglasses, <laughs> all the memes that are out there. Just just bask in it. It's like, can't we just have one night? You know it's bad when I'm telling people that they're too cynical. <laughs> it's like, come on. So, I don't, I love it. Let's finish with the Pistons here. Where do you see the timeline? Because I'm optimistic. I laid it out. I'm not putting an exact year on it, but I believe that this group will win a title or they lose game six of the NBA finals by two points. Like I think it's so hard to say any team's going to win, but I think they are going to be extremely viable and either get there or be on the doorstep three to four years or so. Do you see them on a path to that? And what's sort of the peak for them and how soon can they get there? I think they're probably two years away from comfortably making the playoffs. Like, you know, I know that that's probably a goal for them next season. But you just look at the East. And, of course, the East historically has not been very strong. But at the same time, uh, almost all the teams that made the playoffs, you know, like last year, you know, probably going to be right back in it. 
Uh, you have a team in Charlotte that's up and coming. You have a Celtics team. I'm sorry, not a Celtics team, a Chicago team that just, uh, you know, traded for, for Vooch. And, of course, they, they really want to make a leap forward next season. And these rebuilds are just never, ever linear, right? Like, I think year one, you have all the, you know, the rope in the world. And, you know, people are just happy that you have some young guys who look like they're going to play pretty well. And, you know, you're not really judging them that harshly. And then year two, those expectations goes up. And it's like, okay, we don't want these close losses every night, right? Like last year, it's like, oh, wow, we're, you know, competing we every night. We loved it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then next year, it's like, okay, like, we, you know, we can't do this two years in a row, right? And, but realistically, when you have guys who are that young, it takes them a while to figure out how to win. Uh, you know, so first the Pistons could, you know, exceed our expectations, you know, just because they got the number one pick and they have Cade. But, you know, more often than not, and I look at it, you know, as a guy who covered the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, you know, uh, during Josh's rookie season. And then, uh, you know, and then like last season, you're looking at the Grizzlies fans because the Grizzlies aren't playing quite as well as you want them to. And it's like, you know, Josh still only, <laughs> you know, he's not old enough to drink yet. You know, it's like, of, of, of course, they're not going to make this massive leap forward. Uh, because they're still very much learning. They still have rookies who are big in their rotation, and that's going to be the Pistons next season. Uh, you have rookies that came off of an irregular pandemic year. You know, Killian Hayes is still going to be like almost like a rookie in some ways because he didn't have summer league. Uh, he went eight months without playing because the season got cut short when he was in France, and he's doing some things for the first time. I mean, he only played 26 games. Like, these guys are still very early in their development. So it's tough for me to predict that they're going to make the playoffs next season, even with the play-in, just because I think you have to account for some sort of, uh, you know, just irregular, like, you know, they're still figuring things out. But I think by Kate's second season and the rest of the young core there in year three, uh, you know, I think they're going to have a level of polish, especially when, you know, you have some cap space, you know, unless they do something, you know, crazy next week and you're getting some more vets in there maybe. You know, I think realistically that's probably when you can look at this team and you can see them being, you know, like a, a fifth seed, a sixth seed. Maybe you get into the playoffs and maybe you, know, you just kind of catch fire. You get the, the right matchup and whatnot. So I kind of see this like by 2023, I think they will be, you know, some sort of threat in the Eastern Conference. And, you know, I think next year you just kind of have to give them that extra year of just figuring out how to do certain things because this team is still extremely young. They do have a ways to go. And I mean, back to Killian, not only did he have all these setbacks in the COVID situation, he was the youngest guy in the draft to begin with. So like it, there is a lot of development yet to be had. I do not think it's crazy. Again, you have the caveat, everyone has to be healthy and all that stuff. But like assuming things go well and the best version of how things could go in this year, I don't think it's crazy to suggest that we could be 10 games left to go in the year and talking about scenarios where they make the playoffs. Maybe they're three games back and you we're starting to look at, okay, we're three games in back of the Magic or whoever, probably not them, but somebody. <laughs> right. And it's like they have a tougher schedule. Where we start to weigh that. That's the impact I think Cade Cunningham can have. But I do agree. I think Cade's second year is when we really start to look at, like, we start to see these things happen. Stewart's in year three. Sadiq Bay's in year three. I don't know. I'm optimistic. Do you think that this team is sort of in a title path three, four, five years from now? Because I think they have those seeds that you need to have planted. I do think they have those seeds. I think Cade Cunningham, like, clicks that into place. Yes. You know, like, you know, before they won the lottery, it's like they still need to find that guy, and I don't know who that guy is. Now that they have Cade, I think that just puts them on a very clear path going forward. You have your guy who might be your number one guy. Even if Cade Cunningham is, like, an elite number two, and you have Jeremy Grant and these other people who are, like, you know, they're, they're really, really good, that's still probably going to get you a 4-3 seed in the East, right? Yep. You know, I mean – uh, you know, I think that's still probably enough. But Cade definitely, I think, puts them on a path where you could see the outline of this team 
really doing something by the time, you know, Kay's ready for his extension in a few years. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think for sure uh, they have a lot of what you already need. You know, they, they got three big, you know, pieces, of course, and like your lead playmaker and Killian, you know, your, your rim protector and Isaiah Stewart, and then you're kind of like wing gunner and Sadiq Bey. Uh, they've gotten sort of the dirty work out of the way already. So from here, it's just letting these guys develop and seeing where they go. But uh, I don't think they need to do anything too dramatic to get to that spot. Uh, not that they have Kate. So, and I keep saying we'll finish, but one more thing on this Pistons thing. Kate Cunningham has been a Piston for just over 24 hours, officially. Is this Kate Cunningham's team already? I think so. I think he's the number one pick. You know, I think if you're, you know, the the, the marketing team, you're putting Kay's face on everything. Uh, I think he kind of carries himself in that way. Uh, I think he very you know, clearly wants to be that. And he has the talent to be that, too. Uh, I think I think for sure he's already the face of this franchise. Uh, you know, this is a team that hasn't got a number one pick in 51 years. I don't care who is going number one. They were going to be the face of the franchise. Well, certainly in terms of marketing, <laughs> but I mean, like, even yeah. in the room. Mm-hmm. Like, they're they're walking in with their yeah. duffel bag on the first day. And is Summer League in Vegas this year? I don't even know. It, it is. Like, it usually mm-hmm. is. First day of Summer League, he's walking in. I mean, Jeremy Grant won't be at Summer League, but Summer League, guys, this is Kate's team. Couple months later, he walks in. Jeremy Grant, very, very good player. I like on the Olympic team. This is Cunningham's team day one, even with the veterans. I mean, I think it would be, but you you kind of agree with that? To an extent, yes. You know, I still think you'll have guys like, you know, I'm just sort of name out there, like let's say they bring Corey Joseph back. Just as a veteran, he's still gonna have a lot of stake in the locker room. And you know, like Jeremy Grant, of course, he's way more established coming off the Olympics. Uh, you know, it may be a case where, I mean, just from the team dynamic, you know, it's 1A and 1B. Yeah, that's fine. But, you know, but I do think Cade is coming in. And just because he's Cade and just because he has that talent and because he's always been that guy, he's probably looking at this like, this is my team. And if we win or lose, he's looking at himself, right? Uh, you know, so I think at the end of the day, uh, if you're just looking at who on the team is going to carry himself in that way, uh, it's probably going to be Cade. So maybe it won't be like a day one type of deal. But by the end of next season, I think for sure, like this is going to be a situation when everybody's looking at Cade, like, you know, this is this is for sure the guy. I, I feel that way. And I, I, you know, we've laid it out. I think they're on the path. I, I think this is finally, they finally have a plan. Even if it doesn't work, the plan is good. It's sound. Stan Van Gundy never had a plan. He mocked the very concept of tanking, hated it. This is a real plan that's been implemented by some real people that know what they're doing. I think Troy Weaver is hitting a lot of the same notes of peak Dumars before he tried to extend artificially that window. And I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled with where they're at. You know, you're a Detroit guy, Michigan State guy, covered Memphis. Just for you, wrapping on the Pistons, man, what a great time for you to be back. Like, I just, just you're coming in right yeah. at the perfect time. You got to be thrilled about that. Yeah, yeah, I was talking to one of my buddies earlier, and he's like, man, you go down to Memphis, and they draft Ja, <laughs> and then you leave, and you come here, and they haven't even hired Troy Weaver yet, and then they get Kate. And I'm like, man, I don't know what to tell you. That's just. Team should <laughs> hire you. Some team should hire you to go to the lottery. You could be like the Ben Wallace. You'll be the lucky yeah. charm. They'll just bring you in. Yeah, apparently, yeah. man. Yeah, hell of a time to come in and happy for you. So. Great talk on the Pistons. You know where we're going next. A little speed round. Let's rip through it. We'll have some fun. We'll be all over the map. I think we talked Cade to death, but I'll be talking about him for about 10 more years every day probably. (laughs) That's how excited I am. So let's get to the speed round. Cade Cunningham is here. Let's get to it. All right. 
I love our speed round tonight. This is this was a, one of the more fun ones for me to uh, <laughs> to prep for. So awesome. let's let's get it rolling. You're a Spartan. I'm gonna start here with back to back Michigan State ones. Mel Tucker's Michigan State peak. I don't care about year. I just what will the best Mel Tucker team look like? What will the finish be like? Big Ten, Rose Bowl. What are we looking? Ooh, you know, that's a tough question because, you know, I was talking to one of my buddies the other day, like, you know, is D'Antonio, is that to do standard or a flash of the pan, right? You know, yet, I think they did it long enough to show that this is a peak that Michigan State could get back to again. So, you know, I don't know if there'll ever be a team that gets a national championship, but I do think they could get back to like that Rose Bowl, Cotton Bowl tier. You know, for him, I'm going to give it maybe like four years just because he is starting off, you know, from almost from scratch. But I do think they could get back there for sure. I think from scratch would actually be an upgrade. But, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, 11, 12 wins, I think he can absolutely get there. So, anyway, speaking of Michigan State coaches of great note, Tom Izzo's retirement timeline. Everyone has a different answer. I've heard this is his last year, not from inside knowledge, just from fans speculating. Mm-hmm. I've heard he's got one year left. I've heard he's got two years left because his son is going to graduate in two years. I've heard he's nowhere close to retiring. Where do you land on Tom, uh, Tom Izzo? How many seasons does he have left here? Well, he's approaching 70 in three years, right? Yeah, he's at mid, mid, yeah, mid, late 60s. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I think, I think 70 is my magic number for him. I think uh, you just look at the way college basketball is trending. You know, I think a lot of the, you know, coaches sort of in that same gener- generation as Izzo are just getting fed up with some stuff. And at the same time, I mean, Izzo's been doing it for a long time, man. Uh, you know, I think I, I think I'll probably give it three, four more years. You know, I think he's got some good recruits coming in next season. Obviously, you know, you got Max coming in. Uh, you know, he's still got some some juice, still got some recruiting juice. You know, I do think this is a team that can potentially get back there. Uh, and it's I think it's getting harder and harder to predict how these Izzo teams do every year now. Yes, uh, just because I think there has been more turnover. But I'm I'm gonna give it three years. I think I think after seventy, it's probably a good chance that's I fair. Do. I mean, if yeah. I were like setting the odds, I would say like over under is three. Like mm-hmm. I mean, it's I think it'll be right around there. I think it'll probably be exactly three or four. I don't think one year left. I, I just don't see that. I don't. There's no. I think we would have like heard something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Who knows? We'll see. So moving on. Michigan State topic, kind of. You're a Spartan. I don't know if you ever attended Burgerama. I've always argued it was overrated. Waiting two hours to save a dollar on a a burger is like, it's not worth it to me. I was the outlier. All my friends loved it. Burgerama and East Lansing, overrated or underrated? Ooh. I'm a big Rama fan. I was at Rama a lot. So you're an underrated guy. So I'm underrated because I think everybody... Like, whenever we all went, we had a blast, and it was just less, I think it was less about the burger and just more about, you know, like, two. it was like 275 or whatever for like a-, a That's bucket, true, right? yeah. Uh, and for like Thursday, too, I mean, it was just like, you know, a pregame to the actual weekend. So I'm going to go underrated, because I did have some friends that never really went, and it was just like, man, this was like my senior year, so- I, I differ from you, which is yeah. fine. It makes me go on. I, it's, it's not that it was terrible, it's just yeah. like, I would walk past my friends in line at the Riv- and be like, all right, like I'll go spend the extra four dollars and still hang out with other friends. It's not like I'm drinking alone, but For sure. yeah, I, I admit you're in the majority. Everybody loved it, but me. I was the one uh, Scrooge <laughs> McDuck with the uh, the Riv Burgerama. So I know, um, and correct me if I'm wrong. You've done in your state news days 
some coverage on like the local hip hop scene and like sort of underground stuff. And like, is that, is that a little bit like early on? I was, I read some of your stuff. Yeah. I was features and yeah, I did. I did do some of that. Okay. So I I didn't want to like ask you this and you're like, where the hell did this come from? Cause (laughs) when I was, you know, researching you and trying to come up with stuff, I was, I like some of your stuff from my 2015. I'm going to ask you the best hip hop artist that I don't know. Is there somebody that's not well known that you think is really good? I should be YouTubing after this. He is, I feel like he's on the cusp of being a bit more well-known, but he's been grinding for, like, years, and I still feel like he's not really that well-known. Freddie Gibbs. Freddie Gibbs. Freddie Gibbs. Is he local, or is he... He is not local. He is from Gary, Indiana. Okay. But he has been, he's a little bit, he's starting to get a little bit more mainstream now, but he's really been underground. Uh, He probably got started in, like, 2009. I got into him around 2012. Because my freshman year roommate was really big in underground rap, but he was like, "Man, you got to hear this, man!" And I was like, "Oh, this dude is in- in- insane!" But he is a—he's uh, got like a really—he's almost got like a soulful voice, but he's very much like an old school rapper in a way. Uh, like just the way he flows on everything, his beat selection is insane. Uh, he's got a couple tapes uh, with a uh, uh, that uh, I think like Piata and Bandana are two of the best of like the last uh, decade for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, like, he's just great. Like, I don't think there's been four rappers just from a quality standpoint better than him in like the last 10 years. Freddie Gibbs. And See, I haven't heard of him. So, yeah, yeah you, go. you win. You win. There you go. Anybody yeah. who likes rap should listen to Freddie, Freddie Gibbs like tonight. We're sure. going to play it as soon as this show's over. I got to say, like, I, one of the articles I pulled, I don't even know if you remember yeah. writing this, but I was laughing my ass off reading it, going through it. You were talking about this, like, little known up and coming guy who's on the cusp of stardom called Chance the, uh, the Rapper. Chance the Rapper, yes. <laughs> yeah, was, this, this article's like eight years old. And it, that's, oh, that was man. what inspired me to ask you the question because okay. it's like, oh shit, you nailed that one. Man, so there we go. That, that's why I said that I had to work in, like, who do I not know? Because if you nailed a big one there, because, you know, at the time, even the yeah. way you were wording it, it was like, look, I know no one's heard of this guy, but watch out for this Chance the Rapper guy. Oh, uh, yeah. No, that was yeah. probably, yeah. I mean, the same roommate got me in, the, in a chance because he was from Chicago and Chance is from Chicago, yeah. obviously. And uh, yeah, he got me in the Chance right before Acid Rap came out in 2014. Or yeah, the article I think was 2013. So, okay, no, 2013, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and back then, I'm like, yeah, this dude is great. So, he, I, I, I didn't think he would ever get as big as he is now, though, honestly. Like, I thought he would get a lot more popular, but I didn't think he would ever become like ah, take everybody. The victory knows lap, man. If I were you, I would take the victory lap because yeah. reading that in hindsight was hilarious because <laughs> he's described by you as like this, you know, underground up and comer that you think is yeah. going to pop and that. And it's just like now it's just so funny reading that. So I had to ask you, like, okay, who's the next chance the rapper? And oh, for sure. so yeah, it was a big win for you. I, I was I was impressed by that. Uh, so anyway, good job. So I'm gonna move to this. We got a couple left. You covered them for a minute. One of my favorite Spartans in recent memory, Jaron Jackson Jr. I'm curious, you know, we can all watch his game. The guy, Jaron Jackson Jr., the guy. I've heard he's like the nicest, friendliest guy ever. Like, what's Jaron Jackson Jr. like? Oh, he's so goofy, but and he is just like a really guy. nice guy. But he is a guy like he's just extremely personable. Like he was just the guy that everybody on the Grizzlies loved. Uh, you know, he was the guy just like super talkative in a locker room. Uh, just yeah, I mean, just super friendly, super genuine. Uh, like I think the way he comes off like in interviews is just the way he is always. Uh, like for for sure. I mean, like obviously he's extremely talented, and I think you know somebody stays healthy, he's gonna have a big year next year, but. Yeah, just always enjoyable to talk to. Like, just, you know, he'll just have you laughing because he'll just say or do something really funny. Uh, you know, he, he would always talk music. Like, he was really big into music. And he, I think he actually would rap a little bit. And, uh, yeah, just super goofy, personable guy. Uh, just, like, perfect locker room guy, honestly. Like, I know everybody in that locker room loved him when I was back in Memphis. So, 
we're just like cranking those guys out in East Lansing. Like you know, Cassius Winston, McQuaid's like the nicest guy ever. Mm-hmm. Kyle Arn's the nicest guy ever. Miles Bridges. It's like something about, I don't know if it's Izzo or if it's a coincidence or what it is, but like all these guys are just like, you could have a beer with them tomorrow and they're great. But. For sure. You never hear stories like, oh, that guy is awful. You know? No, never. <laughs> I mean, I, there's, there's one that I've heard bad things about, but I'm not going to slander the guy. But I mean, overwhelmingly, it's just something about the program. It's very like, you know, family oriented and, you know, like friendly, they all love each other. And I don't know, but I've heard nothing. My friend, Justin Tind, uh, Michigan state basketball recruiting insider football as well. He's like actually friends with them. And I, okay. I was like, how did you kind of maneuver that? He's like, Oh, he's a nice guy. I just met him and we're friends now. It's like <laughs> for most guys that are six eleven. everyone knew he was going to be a lottery pick like in a year. They're not that accessible, but yeah, I've heard nothing but good things. So I, I was curious about your stance on him. So we'll finish here. Sort of on the flip side, the yin to the yang with Jaron Jackson Jr., the most difficult athlete you've covered. Now, you're a young buck. You haven't covered mm-hmm. for 30 years like some guys we've had in the chair. But it was her, and it doesn't even mean they were an asshole. Just yeah. didn't want to talk to you or whatever. Just had a hard time getting anything out of them. Most difficult athlete. You know, it's interesting. I think I've, I've been lucky in a sense. When I first got to Memphis, the two main guys in that locker room were Mike Conley and Marcus Gasol, like both extremely nice guys. Uh, you know, I think Mark, like he was a little bit more serious than, than, than Mike. Uh, but at the same time, he would always give really great responses. There's never a time when he's like, oh, I'm just not talking to you. Like he would sit down and he would be frustrated, but he would sit down and tell you why he's frustrated. Right? Yeah. So it was, it was never like, yeah. you know, you close the uh, door, you know, like next season, you know, of course, those guys are out and you get giant, you know, Jaron has a bigger row. Uh, like I've covered young teams. Right. And I think we have young teams. Those guys haven't yet developed that ego where it's like, oh, you know, I just don't want to talk to you. Yeah, right? Maybe you don't have one. I uh, mean, if you, yeah, yeah I'm not you asking know. you to make one. Yeah. Don't throw someone yeah. under the bus falsely. No, <laughs> you honestly. Know? So as far as people yeah. I covered directly, I don't, I think I've had a really good experience. Uh, as far like, if we're just talking athletes as a whole, I could think of one experience I had when there was, there was a guy who like, was, it was just like, okay, I don't know. Like, I don't know what, what, what just happened there. And I won't say his name, but he was, you a won't vet. say his name. He was a veteran. I, like he's like, Bat, in, like the NBA in, in the NBA, okay. in the NBA, it was okay. a situation I was on the road and, uh, I was, he was teammates with a guy on the team I was writing about in the past. So I was like talking to people who do him and stuff like that. And I was waiting in the locker room and I talked to PR. I'm like, is he going to come out? Yada, yada. And uh, well, actually, I talked to the people who covered the team first, and they were like, oh, he acts kind of funny, but, you know, I put in a good word, yada, yada. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I talked to PR, and they're like, oh, he's going to take his time, but, you know, he'll see you waiting. He'll come out. You know, he'll talk to you. And I'm like, okay, cool. I waited probably a good 35 minutes for him to come out. Like, locker room was empty. Oh, I'm going to watch, like, I, I need to get going. Then he came out. It took him, like, 20 extra minutes to get, you know, get, you know, get dressed and all that stuff. And then he turned around, he took a look at me, and he was about to walk out. And I was like, hey, I was going to, like, you know, can, can we talk? And he kind of looked at me. He was like, are you serious right now? And, he didn't give you a quote? And uh, I was like, yes. And, and then the PR was, like, I, they were kind of caught off guard, and they were, were, like, trying to, like, you know, talk him down a little bit. And eventually, like, he did give me, like, two minutes. But it was just like, <laughs> it's like, really? <laughs> I took the world's longest shower just leaving you out in the hallway with your notepad. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough break. Well, I will be asking you off mic. I don't know. Right. Maybe you'll share that with me privately. But, <laughs> uh, it was great to have you, man. Look, it, it's crazy that you're here. 6 a.m. flight this morning. Crazy day yesterday. You had to cover the media availability today. Give you a lot of credit for showing up here under these circumstances. Luckily, you're young. A lot of my guests of the geriatric class would not be here <laughs> after the day you've had. I've really enjoyed your work early on. You know, I reached out to you a while ago and said so. And, you know, just I, I think you're here at a wonderful time. We talked about it. This is a, a 
perfect time to sort of start the Pistons beat for you. And, you know, wish you well, man. You're really great at what you do. And I recommend everyone check out your work at the Detroit Free Press. Man, really appreciate that. I mean, I was born and raised in Detroit, so I think I always do deep down. If I had the chance to cover the Pistons for the Free Press, I'd probably do it. And, uh, you know, I left for Grizzlies seeing I was up and coming, so I had no idea what to expect. And you just look at this past year, and, yeah, to be able to cover a Pistons team that really seems to have some mo- mo- momentum. Like, I think in the back of my mind, like, you know, you're a reporter, you're a professional, obviously, but there's still, like, that, you know, little piece of Detroiter in you that's, like, you know, just to see the silly kind of rally around right. what's happening right now, uh, you definitely feel, uh, you know, just blessed and lucky to be able to, you know, come in and be able to cover that, you know, and be able to kind of lift that veil a little bit and help people get to know the team a little bit better. So, uh, hey, I'm having a blast and just ready to get back to normal so we can get some fans in the arena next season and, you know, we just have an actual, you know, an actual normal, uh, you know, like basketball atmosphere, right? Because most of these fans haven't seen Killian, Isaiah, Jeremy. They haven't seen these guys in, in person yet, which is really crazy. So, uh, yeah, I think next season is going to be a big one. Yeah, especially that team in particular will be fun to watch in person. Certain things don't translate as well on TV, just the way they play and how hard they play. I think you get a better perspective there. But even if this team doesn't reach what I think they can do ultimately, you're here for a first overall pick with all this buzz. Like, even if it doesn't work, like, it's it's a cool story in a bad way, but it's been just boring forever here. I mean, even the end of that Billups, like Rip Hamilton team, I was okay with them falling apart. I didn't like how they did the quote-unquote rebuild because they didn't. But um, no matter what, it's a hell of a time. So it's good to have you home. We'll attribute all the good luck to you because you brought it to Memphis. <laughs> you brought it here. Everyone said it was Ben Wallace, but I guess it was you. I'm going to give it to you. And even though you're modest about Chance the Rapper, uh, Freddie Gibbs was the, the guy I got to look Freddie up. Freddie Gibbs. You were Freddie modest Gibbs. about Chance. You all said, right. oh, I didn't yeah. know he was going to blow up that big. Your article betrays you because you did say he was going to blow up. <laughs> So I'm going to check out Freddie Gibbs. I'm actually going to have Ben throw him on as soon as we cut here. But it was great to have you. I'd love to have you back, man. And I'm, just, I'm happy for you. It's good to see another product of the Michigan State J School killing it, man. So it's great to have you. And I'd love to have you back anytime. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's going to be plenty to talk about, of course, you know, whether it's uh, the Pistons or Michigan State. So yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. talk Spartans with you all right. day, man. That's sort of my bread and butter, as you may see, if you look about the, <laughs> look oh, about the oh, room. I saw all the green. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. It's blinding. So that was Amari Sankofa from the Detroit Free Press, uh, young Spartan dog coming up. Check him out. want to say really quick thanks again to Wade Fink Law, wadefinklaw.com, for keeping our lights on here. We have a lot of them, so thanks for that. Ben Augusta, the other side of the curtain there, the great and powerful Oz, who uh, does an awesome job as always. I send him these sheet hours before every show, and somehow he makes it beautiful. I don't know how he does it. Eric Williamson, our set designer, graphic designer, 100% in his boxers on the couch watching this live right now. Thank you to Eric. And thank you to all you guys. Hey, we've waited a long time. Detroit, we're off the mat. We're not at the peak yet, but we're not on the ground either. It's great to be on the move. Exciting time. I'm happy to carry us through that on this show for all you watching through avenue show episode 40 nice round number for omari thank you we'll be back on sunday a couple days from now with a baseball heavy episode i think the detroit tigers were the only team that didn't make a significant move in the last 24 hours tony paul from the detroit news will be across from me as well as scott anderson not that one but mine uh nice little tigers panel so three shows in a week we're hot Spiro Avenue Show, episode 40. Justin Spiro, thank you. Have a good day. Have a good night. Have a good year of Cape Cunningham and you. We're off the mat. We'll see you.